0: Podo.
1: You're listening to Law & Disorder, a weekly podcast which aims to get to the heart of the big legal issues of the day. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first episode of Law & Disorder, a new podcast about the law. In A Man for All Seasons, Thomas More, a former law chancellor, says this country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast. John Adams, one of the founding fathers of the USA, said we live under a government of laws, not men uh, and women. Very recent you that. Okay, okay. You this? In this country is equally planted thick with people who have very strong opinions about our laws, about what they say, what they don't say and what they should say. That is what we will be discussing. We'll be looking at legal issues arising nationally and internationally and we'll be asking what is the law, what is right with it, what is wrong with it and how can it be improved. But this will not be one of those achingly serious respectful shows where everybody politely disagrees with each other. No, no. Nor will it be one of those podcasts which was recently described in Private Eye as a High-class donkey sanctuary (laughs) where a surfeit of middle-aged men who want to be listened to live out their days in well-remunerated comfort. No, it won't be one of those. Definitely. No, Definitely. Those. So who are we? Let's introduce well, ourselves. Who are you?
0: I'm Helena Kennedy. I'm a lawyer. I have practised for many years at the English Bar, despite being a Scot. And I, uh, I now am the director of the International Bar Association's Institute of Human Rights. I consider myself to be a human rights lawyer. And now a lot of my work is both domestic and international. And you're a parliamentarian. And I'm a parliamentarian. I wouldn't describe myself as a politician, but I am a parliamentarian.
2: And who are you? I am Charlie Faulkner. My grandfather was a lawyer. My father was a lawyer. My children are lawyers. My wife is a judge. So I'm completely the lawyer in every single respect. And I've been a lawyer for 50 years practicing in the commercial field primarily. I spent 10 years as a minister and 27 years as a Labour politician. And my goodness me, that opened my eyes.
1: (laughs) I'm Nicholas Mostyn. I was a barrister for 30 years, then I was a High Court judge. For 13 years, as a barrister, I mainly did divorce cases. As a judge, I sat in the family division, but I was also a judge of the Court of Protection and of the Administrative Court, where I heard and dealt with many applications challenging government decisions. I think it is fair to say that as a judge, I was regarded as what might be politely termed outspoken. The son referred to me as a renegade judge. I was never afraid to challenge the received wisdom of the law in favour of justice, I retired from the bench in July of 2023. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2020. And in 2023, I was a founder of the podcast Movers and Shakers. So what we're going to talk about in this first episode is the concept of the rule of law, because this is going to overlay so many of, if not all, of our future episodes. The rule of law. So what does the phrase the rule of law mean? And why is it important? Helena.
0: I see it as being fundamental to democracy, but um, even places that aren't democracies might uh, uh, sign up to it. I mean, it's a political ideal, and it's that all citizens within a country and all institutions within a country, and that includes lawmakers and uh, our governors, our politicians, our officials, the arm of the state, all of them are subject to the same laws. No one's above the law.
2: No one is above the law.
1: um, Lord Denning said that, didn't he?
2: Yes, he did, in a case about strikers. But I think that I think the rule of law, exactly as Elena says, is absolutely key to our democracy. I think the rule of law, first of all, has got to stand out against people resting power from a democratic electorate. And you see the judges and the courts are the last defense against Trump doing that in America at the moment. Secondly, it's absolutely got to prevent governments ruling by edict. If you win an election, that doesn't entitle you to do whatever you like. You've got to comply with the law. And thirdly, and equally important, the law's got to protect people's most basic rights. So for me, the rule of law is protecting democracy, stopping governments doing what they like, and protecting people's inalienable rights, like not being thrown in jail, not being harassed by criminals. Being allowed to protest. Being allowed allowed to protest, protest, all of those things. And those are the sort of three bits of it that really matter. And without them, you can't have democracy.
1: Can a undemocratic regime still comply with the rule of law?
2: Absolutely not. No, because ultimately, if you are not responsible to the people, there is absolutely no need for you to comply with the law. It is democracy that protects the law and law that protects democracy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to just say, Nick, I, I do remember many years ago uh, when I was the chair of the British Council, going out to China um, with a delegation and we brought some um, lawyers because we'd, be, we'd been bringing young commercial lawyers from China who wanted to sort of, China was keen to join into the global market and so they wanted to, to create a, a cohort of commercial lawyers. And so we went out there to talk about law and the importance of uh, the rule of law. And it was very interesting because it was clear that the Chinese felt that they too had the rule of law. But that meant we make the law the governing body of the communist party and the rest of you have got to follow it and there was no question of this business of an interaction or that the citizens could actually challenge decisions being made by uh, by government well
1: that's one of the key features of the rule of law isn't it i mean i as we will discover as this podcast develops i'm a bit of a amateur legal archaeologist but john adams who i've already mentioned one of the founding fathers of the USA said that laws have to be fixed, which the people have a voice in making and a right to defend, and yet that's what he saw as one of the key elements of the rule of law, mm. and that presupposes a democratic content to it. Although how democratic America was in 1775 is debatable. Charlie, you were Lord Chancellor when the Constitutional Reform Act was passed yeah. in 2005. In fact, you were one of its architects.
2: Indeed I was. And it,
1: it refers to, I think uniquely in a statute, to the rule of law in Section 1, and it also in Section 17, where it, it requires the Lord Chancellor to swear an oath to uphold the rule of law. Yeah. But why does the Act
2: not define what the rule of law is? Well, the problem is you'd need pages and pages to define it. Lawyers understand what the rule of law is, but... If only lawyers understand it, then the rule of law is under threat. So we didn't define it in the Act, because it would be for the courts, as time went on, to pick those aspects of the rule of law that might matter in a particular case. But everybody, in terms of those involved in politics and the public, have got to, have a, not got to, but the more understanding there is about the importance of the rule of law, the more our basic freedoms, I believe, are protected. Yes.
1: Now, you've spoken, when talking about the rule of law, about how it applies to everybody. As Lord Denning said, be you ever so high, the law is, quoting somebody called Thomas Fuller, be you ever so high, the law is above you. And we've talked about laws have to be fixed and the people have a voice in their making and a right to defend, as John Adams put it. And then there's the third ingredient, which is that the law must provide for due process.
2: Yeah, because if you, for example... You know, when we left the European Union, the government just wanted to say, well, we've now got this result in a referendum, we can just by edict, leave the European Union. And the court said, no, you've got to go through the normal process. And if you want to change the law, and leaving the European Union means changing the law, you've got to do it by an Act of Parliament. We will not accept or our freedoms would be hugely undermined if a government could just govern by edict. And that's why due process in terms of what the government does really matters.
1: What do you understand due process to entail?
0: Well, well of course, a due process is about having fair, open, transparent proceedings, and it's before an independent judiciary, and that's a very important element I'm in all of now. this. Because you have to have uh, a judiciary that is not part of government, is not politically uh, motivated in, in its decision making. All of that should be done in as public a way as possible. Some cases, of course, there has to be a level. Well, of we're going to be talking about privacy. open justice
1: in later episodes. That is for sure. But that
2: that point that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. helena is making is now sort of at the heart of the threat to the rule of law because people have tried to make the judges appear to be on a particular side and that side is the sort of remainer sort of middle class (laughs) sneering london elite side and they're in play for the first time in my experience mm-hmm. judges have been attacked for not being hard enough on crime and things like that in the past but now they're very much in play as part of a of a metropolitan elite that is being attacked by many, many populist politicians.
0: Hold on a minute. I mean, it it is important that one can point out failures in the nature of our judiciary. And I've been um, responsible for calling it out myself in relation, for example, over many years. And like you, Charlie, I've been practising at the bar now for... many decades and let me tell you part of my whole sort of raison d'etre has been to look at law and say is it delivering for sections of our of our communities and women were never involved in the making of law they were not there in parliament they were not there on the highest uh, levels of the judiciary making law mm. and so the absence of a, a female experience and perspective in the law had to be called out and that kind of criticism is a, a valuable and important thing as far as i'm concerned what is not acceptable is to be abusing judges as though they have come at this deliberately taking a side. And when um, we had the referendum on Europe and uh, that decision, as you've just described, was being made by the courts that, uh, in fact we're a parliamentary democracy, therefore edict is not the way things are done. The cabinet can't, and the executive can't just decide we're we're going to leave, even if there's been a referendum. Parliament has to vote on it. And it was a foregone conclusion that Parliament would vote, given the the way that the public had gone. But it was a a procedural nicety that was vitally important, saying we're a parliamentary democracy. And the folly of it was that newspapers, like the Daily Mail, but also um, certain of the right politically, um, started declaiming that the judges had taken sides and that they were really Remainers and we even had the front page of the Daily Mail calling our judges enemies of the people. Mm. It was a disgrace Mm. and I'm afraid um, it was a disgrace that our then Lord Chancellor uh, Liz (laughs) Truss did not immediately say this is unacceptable um, attacking (coughs) the judges for doing what the judges are required to do in a democracy where the rule of law is respected.
2: She rang up Downing Street and she rang up Downing Street from the Tuesday to the Friday waiting for instructions as to what to do and eventually they said, OK, defend them. Uh, but that was after a long, long time. And that was Theresa May.
0: It was shocking. And, and it was it was shocking business. It shows you that even when women are in senior positions, they too can become party to rather the ignominious aspects of politics. But it's hard, it's I think hard to see
1: one of the Lord Chancellors of your, you know, Lord Hailsham or Lord <coughs> Kilmour, being so pusillanimous. I agree it? with yeah. you.
0: And I have to tell you, I and going I say this have a go at deeply, Charlie <laughs> I'm going to have a go at Charlie now, because I, I've got to just say that while you reformed in a way that I had argued for for a long time, Charlie, the, the, the Lord Chancellor's role, both as the, he was the Speaker in the House of Lords, sat in the woolsack, He also was the appointer uh, of judges, you know, tapping people that he liked on the shoulders. And, sat on the judicial committee. Sat on, and actually sat as a judge. Yeah. And, and all of that um, was unacceptable in a modern world. And, uh, and so what we uh, really needed was reform. And I was chairing Charter 88 at the time, calling for the reform of the judiciary. And you reformed the judiciary in some ways that were terrific, bringing in a Judicial Appointments Commission, creating that sort of a, a role for people to make the appointments based on open criteria, people could apply, etc. cetera. In, However, <laughs> there is, there is a I there's butt. a but coming, isn't However, there is a very large but. There is a very large Helena, you <laughs> were a
2: strong supporter of Let the reforms at the time. I was.
0: I was no, I was, not ref- I, I was absolutely vocal about the fact that I did not like the idea that the person who became the Lord Chancellor had to be the same as the person who was a Minister of Justice. And I thought it was the Lord Chancellor's role should be kept. And I thought that the Lord Chancellor in the cabinet was very important. Someone who was not ambitious to become a prime minister or or to become the foreign secretary, but who was actually at the end of their career, but committed to the law and it should be a lawyer. And you've just said yourself, you said it just now, that, you know, here you are immersed in the law. And you said it's important to have, you know, judges and, and people sitting in positions where, where they're immersed in the law and you want your Lord Chancellor to be someone who is immersed in the law and understands in their bones and in their I mean, visceral who, feelings. Who
1: defends the judges in the Cabinet now? Since
2: the you. Lord Chancellor. And the Lord Chancellor. The, the, I mean, at you. the moment, the, the, Alex Chalk, the current Lord Chancellor, is unquestionably terrific. a person who defends the law. And I think the Attorney General is somebody who's been in the trenches over a long Victoria period of time
0: defending the lawyers. But, J- just Charlie, me, no, just know I, no, I want. No, oh, I, sorry, no, there's my, more to come. No, <laughs> The, uh, the indictment has to be clear to you. Yes. The failure that you had was that you basically merged those two roles, the Lord Chancellor and the Minister, who's someone ambitious for further advancement. But also you said it didn't have to be a lawyer. And you did that because David Blunkett pushed you into that corner. And David I, I, Blunkett thought he could be the Lord Chancellor. What you anyway, let me just tell you, having I'm not somebody get a no, to say, uh, I I'm sorry, this is so important because there isn't I think there's very few lawyers, very few judges who think you got this right. <laughs> because you said that a non-lawyer could take that role, and we had Chris Grayling, who was a disastrous uh, Lord you Chancellor. You don't need to, to being We had, had an, an, Tory an, Lord he was absolutely—he destroyed the probation service, destroyed yes. legal aid, destroyed—and the backlog in the courts are largely down to him. And secondly, uh, <clears> we <throat> then had Liz Truss again, the person who wouldn't defend the judiciary. It's not in their bones. And you see, I—you failed in making it that kind of reform, and you're still not prepared to admit it. But you did it in the back a flag packet a pack of a flag packet i remember
2: them i don't know how how do we deal with due process in this let me just respond a little bit i'm so proud of those reforms and i believe what happened subsequently in those reforms has revealed the importance of those reforms before the reforms the lord chancellor who was a complete appointment of the prime minister couldn't appoint any judges he wanted
0: what you did there was great but
2: it's not enough but it goes further than that when the prorogation case occurred I don't know if you remember the prime minister boris johnson said oh the judges are all becoming political we'll have to appoint more political judges had the reforms not taken place he could have immediately implemented that and he didn't and you can't have a situation where the lord chancellor is the head of the judiciary you've got to change that and that. that was the That's change fine. that took away from the lord chancellor yeah. his position and as the big judge in government, and all of those are necessary. Now, what you're saying is, what you need is a big figure who will defend the rule for, of the law, who's a lawyer, the, and well, not no, ambitious I I, for I, office. I, I, I am. I, I don't think no. that you need a lawyer. Test that by no, the, to Iraq, uh, the Iraq War. In the Iraq War, there were two really big lawyers: the Attorney General Peter Goldsmith and the Lord Chancellor. You're getting into another area where d- I will criticise. Jerry Irvin. And what they both did, and I completely respect them for this, was look as lawyers to how you justify going to war. If you had a bigger figure who saw the rule of law in a much bigger context, say Robin Cook he would have had a much bigger view about the rule of law than just the lawyers. So I completely reject the idea that the only people... Wait a minute. (laughs) The only people who can understand the rule of law are lawyers. because if that's the position, we're all doomed.
1: Sorry, I'm going to curtail this for a minute because I want to come back to the concept of due process, which is very important. You said a moment ago, (coughs) Helena, which is that one of the core ingredients of due process is that the court, the judge, is independent... He is not biased. This is rules of natural justice. He's not biased and he's fair. He hears both sides. And that was decided a long, long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago. It's been a part of our law for ages. And unfortunately, we're now going to turn to look at Hong Kong. Yeah. OK. And ask about the no. questions of the rule of law, due process and independence in the context of the Jimmy Lai trial, which started in December. Jimmy Lai is a media business mogul, newspaper owner. An ardent democracy campaigner has gone in trial in Hong Kong, facing one charge under a colonial law of, of sedition, sedition, which is like treason, yeah. and two under the national security law, which was foisted on the territory in 2020 by Beijing, accused of conspiracy to collude with foreign forces to impose international sanctions against the authorities and inciting public hatred. Oh, it's terrible. Now, under the National Security Law, I just say this: there is a presumption against bail, and Jimmy Lai has been remanded in custody in solitary confinement for 1,200 days. Under the United, you'd know this, Helena. Under the United Nations minimum standard minimum rules for the treatment of prisoners, solitary confinement should only be used in exceptional cases, a last resort for as shorter time as possible, and solitary confinement for more than 15 days might constitute torture. Yeah, and he's been locked up for 1,200 days in solitary confinement. It's almost it's- unbelievable. This is Hong Kong. This was. I used to do cases in Hong Kong, and it was a bit like doing cases here, but I, something has terrible happened there. So he's being tried without a jury by a hand-picked panel of three High Court judges who are ticketed to do these cases, who have been approved by the executive. His right to a jury has been taken away by an order signed by the Secretary for Justice. What do you say about this?
0: I mean, the whole thing is a travesty. And the sad thing is that what's been happening in Hong Kong, this erosion um, of the rule of law, we're not... I think, being tough enough in calling it out. The former uh, chair of the of the bar out there really had to leave Hong Kong and come back to Britain. He's, a, he's an associate member of my chambers. And part of it was that it was not possible even for the bar to speak out about some of the things that were happening without the risk of themselves being put at jeopardy. And Martin Lee, a senior counsel there, also has faced charges for being pro-democracy and, and taking part in peaceful demonstration. Margaret Ng, a lawyer friend of mine who I've known all of my professional life you know we became friends as students and she's out there she has been prosecuted even Cardinal Zain Who's the Catholic, of, the, the Catholic cardinal there? It's a shocker, it really is. And if and the truth is that, but about Jimmy Lai, I mean, most it's interesting that most of these people are Catholics, but Jimmy Lai, if, if it weren't for the fact that he is a very devout Catholic and he has he meditates and he uses his time in solitary confinement basically to pray and to paint and he does lots of um, religious paintings and so on, and his wife is allowed still to visit him, so it, one has to be very cautious about not in any way jeopardizing at least the that one right which he gets from time to time of visits from her. But Theresa will say that uh, it is taking its toll. He's a man of 75. And all he's done has been pro-democracy, <clears throat> and he's a British passport holder. And thank goodness, at last, David Cameron, our foreign secretary, has spoken out about it. But until recently, when the trial started before Christmas, it was something that, that we were pretty silent about. If he is convicted, or maybe
1: I want to say when he is convicted... He would have an appeal to the Court of Appeal and then to the Court of Final Appeal, where there I want to ask you a question, where there are still some English judges.
2: Yeah. Lord uh, Sumption, I think. Uh, and, and Lord Newberger. Lord Newberger. And Lord Hoffman. Yeah. I completely agree that law's been totally eroded in Hong Kong. The most significant erosion is if he were acquitted the national security law gives the Chinese government the power to say he can be rearrested and dealt with by a different department. So the, the rule of law is a complete farrago, though I accept that there are considerably brave judges there, some judges, who are standing out against what China is doing. The UK has seen this not as a rule of law issue, but as a foreign policy issue. And as a result, they have trimmed and trimmed and trimmed repeatedly. And it is only political pressure that got them to get rid of the institutional judges because the president of the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom and the deputy president of the United Kingdom were on the final court of appeal panel, yeah. because of their jobs in England and the UK, not England. The and they UK. Down. Well, they were forced out by political pressure because it was absolutely scandalous that a system where the executive, if there is an acquittal, can say, I'm sorry, we don't like that, we'll put you in jail anyway, which is what the national security law allows. It's for David Newberger and Lenny Hoffman and Jonathan Sumption to decide whether or not they wish to give that degree of respectability to a system that is completely contrary to what all of us would regard as the rule of law. They should Wait, is go... It argu-
1: is it arguable, Charlie, that, that, that the Hong Kong legal system and its judicial system is working in a perfectly lawful way and fair and just way, apart from these few you, handful of national security I cases. feel but so
2: strongly, you can't, you can't have a justice system that's fine for the big commercial people. So if I've got a dispute about what the quality of the machine I bought was, you'll find a nice judge who'll do it nicely. Next door, there is a completely... Biased court case going on, and then if the court case is lost by the government the man is, or the woman is say, sent to prison anyway. And I say, well, I'm only really doing the commercial cases. He says that that's just not possible. Either you support it yeah. and give it respectability, or you go. Nick,
0: yeah. Nick, I mean, one of the things is that if you were to have a conversation uh, here with our judges, senior, senior, brilliant uh, men uh, <laughs> who, who go out and sit there, they would say, but we, we deal with commercial cases. It's really almost like doing arbitration on big commercial disputes. We're not called upon to deal with this kind of thing, uh, which is politically highly questionable I want to really make that the emphasis that, that's just been made by Charlie which is that we lawyers do the same thing here, they don't get exercised about the fact that there's a backlog of uh, you know thousands, 150 160,000 cases waiting to be tried in the criminal courts huge numbers in the family courts huge n- backlog of asylum cases, why? Because these uh, Lord Chancellors that um, uh, Charlie thinks were doing a terrific job the ones that were non-lawyers, allow for an erosion of our justice system and for it to take cuts that they should never have, have taken over those years of austerity. We also don't get enough commercial lawyers, lawyers who are not in these areas working, defending the importance of law as a fabric, as a tapestry, yes. in which it weaves together. I mean, and you can't have bits I that I do, good. But in mean, they, they, I do they they agree want... with all
2: that. These people who are there are Absolutely playing the Chinese's game, are they not? The Beijing government's game. Because they're, how can you complain about our system if the former president of the Supreme Court of the United Kingdom still sits as a member of the court? And it's incredibly.
0: Powerful, but the, so but it, the judges, they? but the judges in Hong Kong, in fairness, you know, we have to put this into the discussion. The judges and often senior people in Hong Kong, senior lawyers, who who do care about the rule of law and who are fearful about what's happening, they actually feel it's important to have these outside lawyers coming in because they think it will sort of, if you like, put steel in the in the, into the system and it will help them hold on to the remnants. Yeah. of Yeah, the, the, the,
1: the, the, Jimmy Lai did have a silk from london didn't he tim, tim owen, owen yeah. and who was given admission to yep. the ad hoc admission to the hong kong bar which the uh, government appealed all the way up to the court final appeal but they lost and the court final appeal said he could come but he wasn't allowed in they didn't didn't I think they just didn't give him didn't allow him in I mean (laughs) listen
0: my my chambers Keelan Gallagher one of the king's council in Doughty Street and and a whole team of Doughty Street lawyers are acting for Jimmy Lai as part of his international advisors and so on and they have been harassed and given Mm. a terrible time by presumably the long arm of China I think that we should be concerned about what's happening to the rule of. Law out there, because it's a breach of, of a treaty. Because we, the Sino-British agreement, said that it was a, a commitment that the rule of law would be protected and the democratic processes and so on. That's not happened. They've had placemen put into the into the governance of Hong Kong, and unfortunately, um, the lawyers are sort of keeping their heads down because they've got families yes. and I mean, lives.
2: You've been sanctioned by the Chinese government. I have. Uh, Chambers throughout. The Temple and Lincoln's Inn have been sanctioned by the Chinese government because they've put on their website attacks on the way that China's dealt with it. And the government's done absolutely nothing about it. It's absolutely scandalous. I
1: do want to talk about the land of the free as well. The United States of America. The government of laws, not men, as it's been put. We hold these truths to be self-evident, created with certain inalienable rights land of the free the one place where you would have thought the rule of law had its natural home well and there's lots of lawyers
2: lots of judges i've just come back from being in america there's a terrifying interview with donald trump when asked the question you won't be a dictator will you if you get re-elected as president and he says only for day one he says oh but for the rest of the time no (laughs) he laughs the rule of law is really really under threat In America, and it depends upon the judges to hold out against it. But is his position not the demonstration why the rule of law is a necessary protection for democracy? If he wins and can somehow subvert the justice process, he can stay as president forever. He lost the last election, he persistently said that he had won it. And he's going to the electorate on that prob- basis. On that basis. On that, so what if on he that win? falsehood. What if he wins?
1: Yes, what if he. Well,
0: and that, I mean, uh, that, there, there are that, repercussions um, all across the world if he wins. Absolutely. There are repercussions yeah. in relation to Russia's invasion of Ukraine yeah. and the support that Ukraine needs, and that's about preserving democracy much more widely. Yeah. And then there's the whole business of, of uh, how he deals with the sort of rules based order that, that was created after the Second World War, that we all care about international law. And he's a disrespecter of international but, law, as we know.
2: The thing that is so palpable is Americans dislike the lawyers and the legal process so much, some like it, but Trump is boosted and boosted and boosted by being set against the lawyers, we have to have the rule of law. There's such a distaste, and this is a big problem it a big about problem. the rule of law, about the rule of lawyers. They don't want to be and told what to do by lawyers. They want lawyers to protect their freedoms. Yeah, but
0: lo- lawyers there have pushed the envelope, it has to be said, where they've become essentially many of them are so motivated by money, yeah. rather than the sort of idea that this is a, an honourable profession and so on. There are plenty of good lawyers out and there, there are are as well, of good but there's an awful lot of them who will basically defend anything and don't you know, stick clearly to, I think, what are, should be clearly seen as ethical rules about what it is that a lawyer should be prepared to do and what a lawyer isn't prepared to do. But both
2: in America and the United Kingdom, we have lots and lots of really decent lawyers. And yet, in both countries, attacks on lawyers are regarded as good political material of course but that's 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 the rule of law is now in play as a political issue itself whether or not you allow lawyers to as it were stand and defend basic freedoms if lawyers defend basic freedoms they're just a bunch of lefties allowing in criminals and not ensuring they're deported how did that
1: happen can i wind up by asking you these this question and it relates to a very small country in central america which is close to my heart called el salvador my Mm -hmm. half siblings half Salvadoran. Uh My father's second wife was a Salvadoran lady. Mm. My half-brother and half-sister are half Salvadoran. And El Salvador has voted for a man called Bukele as president, whose manifesto was to completely abrogate the rule of law. Due process has been completely suspended. There's no criminal justice. People are arrested at the whim of the police. They have over 100,000 people in prison. This is all in order to try and extirpate the gangs who've been ruling El Salvador. What do you say to the electorate of El Salvador, who have, by a massive majority, voted for a man whose manifesto is to subvert and abrogate the rule of law? Well,
2: what went before was no law, because, as you said, it was the rule of the gangs. The choice for the people of El Salvador was not between law and non-law, law law was not on offer. The only choice is order or disorder. And so the vileness of the breaches of the rule of law may, for very many people, seem less vile than being gunned down by gangsters. But the, yes. other, the other thing is, so there's bad choices there. Bad yeah, choices, but yes, but yes, even
0: where that it hasn't sunk to the low where there's no law at all, populist leaders, authoritarian leaders, and the pendulum politically across the world has swung in the in the direction of, particularly, of the right populist leader. And many of them, uh, the way that populists, whether of the right or of the left, uh, win uh, support is by having rather simplistic answers to very complicated problems, whether it's gangs and and criminality eating into the whole fabric of society or whether it's about terrorism or whether it's about immigration or whether... If you create for yourself an enemy that you promise as an authoritarian leader that you're going to deal with and and solve and it involves having to, you know, take more and more power to yourself, that's what authoritarians do. there's a temptation even here in our wonderful Britain where we do you know I still hold on to the fact that we have the rule of law but it's being eroded because of, of a desire but, to do the but and because of a
2: sense of a sense of failure for very many people the system fails them in a way that previously didn't women certainly feel that huge inequalities inequalities got worse over the last 40 years leads people to think my opportunity no longer exists and if my opportunity no longer exists or for my children i attack the bulwarks of the state and one of the bulwarks of the state is the law which enforces the rules of the state I'm obviously completely in favour of the rule of law, but I understand that it is severely under threat in this country, because I think the rule of law as a concept is now something that the populist leaders yes. Listen, used we just, to attack us. Yeah,
0: we just had a report done by Justice, which yeah. is a really wonderful all-party group that does really great research. And they looked at the last years, and it's not just been one uh, government of one complexion, it actually has been a steady erosion. And it is about the way in which the rule of law, even in this country, has been under attack. Yeah. And we've seen it in enemies of the people, d- yeah. der- derision of judges and lawyers yeah. uh, doing their job. And the other thing about seizing more power to to the, to the Secretary of State. Well, we'll, t- we'll be talking about that
2: the one thing, in another episode. That, the one thing I'm pretty sure of is if it's only lawyers defending the rule of law, it won't survive. You know. We're in
0: trouble. We need we need, yeah, yeah. And we need need and our politicians to be much more uh, protective and we, of, of the rule of law. And, here, 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 and to, we yeah. and we need citizens to understand that without the law, I'm afraid you're on a hiding to nothing. because And you need to be able to take your case to court and that's why you need legal aid and it's why you need to have decent lawyers who are prepared to do those cases that don't enrich lawyers and make them Cat's. Let me
2: tell you how unpopular the lawyers are within government. The politicians basically don't like lawyers because lawyers tell them what to do, and the lawyers don't trust politicians. And that chasm is going to get wider and wider we'll and make be, it we, worse we, we, and worse we
1: will be discussing this in further episodes i think that has been a very interesting first episode which i'm now going to bring to a close Oh, we have our, to stop our next episode is going to look at the supreme court rwanda judgment yes. and the ramifications of that it's
0: still going on so we will
1: hope to see you all next week you've been listening to law and disorder with helena kennedy charlie Faulkner, and me nicholas mostyn the show is produced by nick hilton for podo Our theme music is by Anthony Willis. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app. We'd be delighted to know what you think of the podcast. So do please email us your thoughts on lawanddisorderfeedback at gmail.com. See you next week.